Scripture for tonight is Romans 12, verses 14 through 16. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's go before the Lord, beloved, and pray that he'll help us now as we go to his word. Our Father, I thank you so much that you are an ever-present help in times of blessing and an ever-present help in times of trouble. Father, we will suffer in this life, but with you we will never suffer alone, and I thank you so much for that truth. And I pray, Lord, that as we talk about that truth tonight, that you would help us to grow in wisdom, that you would help us to grow in godly habits. And I pray that for those who are suffering and for those who are supporting others who are suffering in our midst, I pray that we would all be helped, Lord. I pray that we would uh, mature in you and grow in practical wisdom so that together we can grow up into the image of Christ. So please come now, Lord. I have prepared my notes, but I am well aware that you are the one that works in your people by the power of your spirit. So I ask you and I thank you for um, coming and working in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said in my prayer, in this life, every single person will suffer. But when we suffer as people who know God and are walking with him by faith in Jesus Christ, we will never suffer alone. On the one hand, as I also said in my prayer, God, our Savior, is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And that's not just a verse in the Psalms. It's not just a theological platitude. That's an actual truth. And it's a truth that we learn in the midst of the fire. God is with us. And because God is with us, our suffering as believers is never without purpose. I think that those who suffer outside of Christ, sometimes they feel like they don't understand why they're suffering. They don't understand what their suffering is about. And I don't blame them. They have no ground on which to understand these things. But for those of us who know Jesus, no matter how intensely we suffer, our suffering has purpose because God is at work in us. And the main thing that God is doing in us is shaping us into the image of his son. And not only is God an ever-present help in times of trouble with us, but God has given us one another. God has made us together to be the body of Christ for one another. And so we don't have to walk through the practical things of life alone either. We get this unbelievable privilege of being the eyes and ears and mouth and hands and feet of Jesus to one another. We get to actually mediate the presence of God to one another in our suffering. And that is just a stunning, breathtaking blessing. Beloved, everybody in this life suffers. But as believing people who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will never suffer alone. Of course, sometimes we'll feel like we're alone. In fact, I think when you're suffering intensely, one of the most difficult things about it is just the extreme sense of aloneness that we often get. But no matter how strong that feeling gets, the truth of the matter is that we are not alone because God is with us and he has given us one another. That's what this evening's message is about. And so I want to begin by saying a few words about the context of Romans 12. And then I want to focus our attention on verse 15 mainly. There's so much in this chapter we could talk about, but I just want to talk about verse 15 
And I want to spend the majority of our time tonight just giving some practical advice, some practical wisdom, things that I've picked up along the way as to how we can weep with one another in times of weeping. I'm certainly no expert in these things, but I just mainly want to get a conversation started with you. How can we weep well together? So on the basis of what Paul wrote in Romans 1 through 11, one of the most glorious sections of the entire Bible, he begins chapter 12 by exhorting us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. He says that this is actually our spiritual worship. God does call for our tithes, but he doesn't need our money. God does call us to invest our time, to invest in his purposes, but he doesn't need our energy. God does call us to use our talents for the glory of his name and the good of others, but God doesn't need our talent. God doesn't need anything from us. What God wants from us is us. He wants us. And it is our privilege to give of our time, talent, and treasure to him and to others. It is our privilege to be made into the image of our Father and to be an overflowing person. Not just occupied with ourselves, but interested in others. The, these things are blessings. God calls us to give ourselves to him as a spiritual sacrifice. This is the heart of the Christian life. And he promises us that as we offer ourselves to him, he will do this amazing work of transforming us into the image of Christ by the renewing of our minds and the power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, as Paul taught us in Romans 8, this is our destiny in Christ. We will never be Jesus. He's the creator and we're the created. He's the savior and we're the saved. He is God and we are not. But it is God's intention to shape us into the image of Jesus so that our character is like his, so that our thinking becomes like his, so that our affections become like his, so that the things that stir God stir us so that our words become like his, so that our actions become like his. God is determined in everything to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is our destiny. And it is with this destiny in mind that Paul writes chapter 12, particularly verses 3 through 21. In those verses, he lists out a, a litany of things, a, a litany of Christian wisdom. It's like a small version of the book of James. This is wisdom literature inside the New Testament, and it is, it is really an amazing chapter. But I think what Paul wants us to see beyond all the practical things that he lists there is the bigger vision of what he's trying to help us see. And if you'll just even peruse verses 3 through 21, you'll notice that all of those things are mainly about our life together as the body of Christ and they are not mainly about our lives as individuals before Christ. Of course, God is at work in us to shape each of us as individuals into the image of Jesus. Of course, that's true. Of course, God calls all of his people by name. He saves us by name. He loves us by name. He will bring us to himself by name. He will wipe away every one of our tears by person, by circumstance. Of course, all of that's true. But beyond our personal experience with God in Christ, he's doing something greater. He's building us together into a body. He's up to very great things. And I think what Paul wants us to see in chapter 12 is that of all the things he lists there and of all the things we could think of in life, God is up to greater things than our, than our human eyes can see. Paul wants us to see by the Holy Spirit what our human eyes cannot see, namely that God is up to very great things in the midst of all things. And the main thing he's doing is transforming us together into the image of Christ. 
So when we read all that Paul has to say in this chapter, we need to remember that he's not simply giving us human advice. This is no self-help type of chapter. He's trying to open our eyes up to the transforming work of God in our midst. And oh, how we will be blessed if we allow God to open our eyes to this. And I'm telling you, this is not just churchy talk. If you will learn to fix your eyes on the greater things God is doing in all things, in rejoicing or in suffering, you will be greatly blessed. You will be greatly helped. Your life will become so much more fruitful. And I think that one of the practical ways that we can work together to enter into what Paul's getting, trying to get us to enter into here One of the ways that we can work together to have eyes to see the greater things that God is up to in life is by obeying verse 15. Verse 15 is very simple. It goes by very fast when you're just reading it full speed, but it's very profound. Paul simply says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. When one of us is experiencing the blessings of God so that we overcome some evil, maybe we've been fighting against some sin or something, and finally, by the power and grace of God, we've overcome that thing, or perhaps we've received an answer to prayer, or perhaps we've achieved something in the Lord, perhaps we've been given the grace of leading someone to Christ or something like that, God would have us rejoice together and not simply to rejoice alone. God would have us rejoice in him together because he's at work in one of us and we together are one. God would have us rejoice in him together because we are one in Christ so that what he's given to one, he has essentially given to all of us. Because we're one in Jesus, the blessing that belongs to one actually belongs to us all in some measure. God would have us rejoice in him together because through every blessing he is transforming the individual, yes, but he's also forming us into the body of Christ. When we rejoice together, we don't just rejoice in the thing that happened. We rejoice in God together. That's what bonds us, beloved. And so we would do well to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And when one of us is enduring a season of suffering so that we're overcome by trials and tribulations and wonder if we'll even be able to endure them, God would have us weep not only alone but also together. God would have us weep before him together because our hope is in him together. God would have us weep before him together because he has promised to be a very present help for all of us as we gather together in his name. Where two or three are gathered, what? There he is in the midst of us, right? God would have us weep before him together because as we weep, he transforms the individual more and more into the image of Christ and he bonds us together more and more as the body of Christ. Beloved, in seasons of blessing and in seasons of suffering, God is up to great things, greater things than we can see with our eyes. And I pray to God that we'll allow him to minister to us tonight, minister in us tonight and help us to see what we really need to see. I pray that God will give us a heart to rejoice together and weep together in the way that God would have us do that. Now, as I mentioned last week, I think that on the whole, Americans are, we're pretty good at rejoicing with those who rejoice. This is actually a pretty strong value in our culture. We love to share with one another when we've achieved some victory, when we've gotten a promotion or when something good has happened to us. And in fact, we really are biased toward that part of life. We want everything to go well. We want the business chart constantly to go up. We want 
to be living constantly in the land of blessing. And I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm saying it's much more our instinct in our culture to rejoice together than it is to weep together. We do have to fight against certain things. I know at times I've had brothers or sisters in Christ receive a blessing and I've had to fight with jealousy and envy in my heart thinking, Lord, why haven't you blessed me in that way or why haven't you blessed me with this thing that I've been calling out to you for? But we're always going to have a struggle with the flesh. Generally speaking, we do fairly well at rejoicing with those who rejoice. The only thing I would say is learn to rejoice in God together. Don't rejoice mainly in the blessing itself. Rejoice in God together because I think that's what God would have us do. But on the whole, and of course there are always many exceptions to the rule, I think as Americans we're not that great at weeping with those who weep. And as I mentioned to you last week, I mainly learned this when I spent time in other cultures where suffering is just the order of the day every day. Life is just hard for people in Mexico, in India, in Eastern Europe, and they just think about suffering differently than we do. They approach suffering differently than we do. Every culture has its strengths, every culture has its weaknesses, but I think we have a lot of learning to do when it comes to weeping with those who weep. And so with this in mind, I'd like to take the rest of our time today and just offer some practical counseling, uh, uh, counsel about how we can go about this in a way that's glorifying to God and truly helpful to us and upbuilding to the body. First, I want to take the perspective of the one who is suffering and share a few things, and then I want to take the perspective of the one who is supporting and share a few things from that perspective. So all in all, I'm, I'm answering the question now, how shall we weep together to the glory of God and the good of the body? So to those who are suffering, let me just offer five bits of counsel. First of all, since the Lord commands us to bear one another's burdens, I think that when we're suffering, it, it, is, it is our responsibility to share our burdens with at least some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we don't share the burden, nobody else can bear the burden with us, right? It's impossible for someone else to bear a burden with us that they don't even know exists. And sometimes when we're really suffering, the last thing in the world we want to do is share a burden. But the Lord commands us to do this, and I'm just saying when we're suffering, let's trust him and walk in his way. Of course, it's not possible or practical or sometimes even wise for every person to share every burden they have with everybody or, or even with a wide swath of people. I'm not saying that, it, that it's your responsibility if you have a burden to go to every person in the church and tell them about it. But I am saying that God has placed some people in your life that he has called to be burden bearers. So pray about that and reach out to them and share your burden with them. Let them know the, the things that you truly need. Let them know the things that your heart is truly longing for. And when they're long-term burdens, pray that God will provide you with prayer warriors who will remain at your side over the long haul, people who will not give up and be long-term burden bearers. Pray with whom you should share your burdens and then pray for grace to share those burdens. We can, all of us, share our burdens with someone no matter how serious and difficult they are to bear or to explain. And I, again, I think it's incumbent upon us to discipline ourselves to do so. And I use that word discipline um, probably speaking to my heart more than anything because I know when I'm suffering, Usually, I don't want to share the burden that I have. And a big part of that is because I was brought up in such a way that my parents taught me to bear the burden that's mine to bear and not to put my burdens on other people's shoulders because they have their own burden to bear. And there's something honorable about that. 
There's something honorable about saying, you look to the Lord and bear the burden by his strength that he has given you to bear. There is something honorable about that, but that can get out of whack. And I know for me, it's pretty easy for that to get out of whack. And I have to look at the word of God where it says, share one another's burdens, and I have to discipline myself to seek out some people who can bear the burdens with me. So on the one hand, if we'll do this, if we'll open up our hearts to the wisdom of God, then I do believe that he'll bring people to our side that can help us bear the burden, no matter how long that burden has to be borne. On the other hand, as we suffer, we must remember again that God is up to things much greater than our eye can see. And if we will simply share the burden so that others can bear the burden with us, God will do great things beyond our personal circumstance. God will build us together into the body of Christ. He will equip us more and more as the body of Christ to be good burden bearers together. God is seeking to transform us into the image of Jesus and and forge us together into the body of Christ as we suffer. So again, beloved, let's allow him to work in the midst of the fires of this life. Let's hear and heed his commands who weep with those who weep. Let's invite others to weep with us before the Lord. I know that this can be hard, but I also know that God can give us the grace to do it. So at the end of the day, I think it's a matter of trust. And it's a matter of obedience. Second thing, as we welcome other people into our weeping, let's remember that the goal of doing that is to bear our burden to the Lord along with them. It's not to put our burden on top of them. The goal is to take the burden we have, no matter how hard it is, and bear it together into the presence of God. We're not putting the burden from our shoulders onto somebody else's shoulders. Together, we're bearing this burden into the presence of God. This is, a, I think, an incredibly crucial thing to remember. When Christians weep together, we do not throw pity parties. We have prayer meetings. That's what our weeping is about. Our weeping is essentially a prayer. We cry out to God with words that, that, with groans that words cannot express. We put our hope to God in visible, tangible, vocal ways. We hope that he will fulfill his purposes and promises and plans in our life. We discipline ourselves together to remember that God is at the center of all things, that he's with us in the midst of our pain, that he will never leave us or forsake us, and that he has invited us to cast our cares upon him and cast them and cast them and cast them because he alone is able to bear the burden of them. When Christians weep together before God, beloved, we are exercising faith together. That's the main point I'm making here. Have in your minds, when you welcome others into your weeping, the weeping is not the end. It's simply an act by which we're going to God together. We're saying, Lord, please take this burden. Please help us with this burden. And beloved, as we exercise faith in God together like that, God forges us together. I was thinking earlier today as I was praying about this part of the message about times that Kim and I have had people bear burdens with us or we've borne burdens with other people. And I was thinking about the strength and depth of the bonds that were forged in that time. Those bonds are deeper than any others. My memory about our walk with those people at those times of suffering is greater than others. I can call so much more to mind because God was profoundly at work, not just hearing our cry about the suffering, but bonding us together in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, as you do welcome others into your weeping, remember that what we're trying to do is bear our burden to the Lord. 
Third thing, since God is in the center of all things, I think we need to guard ourselves against self-centeredness as we walk with others through seasons of suffering. We need to guard ourselves again against what we might call oversharing. And what I have in mind is those times or those people in our lives that every time we see them, they're constantly talking about their problems. They're constantly talking about themselves. It's always really centered here. We might talk about God, but in truth, the center is right here. And what I'm saying is when we suffer, we're all tempted toward that in some measure or other, and we just need to guard against that. We need to remember that God is in the center of all things. We're not in the center of all things. God is, in the, is the one who is ultimate. Our pain and our suffering is not ultimate. And as we remember that God is in the center, then we can have interactions with people that are actually helpful. Then we can actually open up our ears at some point and listen to the burdens that they're bearing. Then we can pray along with them, even as they have prayed along with us. Then we can be forged together into the body of Christ. So again, maybe this is a temptation for you, maybe it's not. But I find that some people, when they hear that they have permission from God to share their burdens, they become oversharers, if you will. And I think the solution to oversharing is to realize that God is in the center of all things. Fix your eyes on God, and then you'll know how much to share and how much not to share with other people. Fourth, as we welcome others into our weeping, let's be gracious to them when they seek to express their love to us in a variety of ways and to help us in one way or another. These days I see a lot of counsel out there that basically says something like this. It will say something like, if somebody is suffering through this particular kind of trial, never say these 10 things and always say these 10 things. I see articles and stuff like that out there about all sorts of different subjects. And as much as I think there is a measure of wisdom in those kinds of articles and in that kind of wisdom, I think at the end of the day, it's practically hard to figure out how all that works because who in the world can remember everything they're supposed to say and remember everything they're not supposed to say? Who in the world can crawl so much into everybody else's skin that you know what would be hurtful to the other and not hurtful to the other? It's just not possible for everybody around us to be so familiar with our particular suffering that they will only say what's helpful and never say what's hurtful. Sometimes people are going to say things that sting us a little bit, and all I'm saying is let's extend grace to them. When we're suffering, let's not expect everyone around us to have to build their manner of speech and actions around us, but let's give thanks to God for their presence in our lives and for the help that God has sent them to offer us. And if they do hurt you, just imagine if you were in their shoes. Imagine times when you've been the comforter to somebody else and things that you've probably said that weren't helpful to other people. And as you think about the grace that God gave to you, well, then just extend that grace to others. There's simply no way that somebody can know us so well that they would only say what's helpful and never say what's hurtful. It's just not realistic. And by the way, we are fully known by someone. Our situation is fully known by someone. Our suffering and our pain and everything involved in it is fully known by someone. And of course, that someone is God himself. God himself knows us deeply and intimately and eternally. 
He knows our past, our present, our future better than we do. He knows the sources of our suffering, the implications of our suffering, the end of our suffering way better than we do. He knows us with the perfect knowledge and he's loved us with an everlasting love. Beloved, we are truly known by God. And because we are truly and deeply and intimately known by God, we are free to just accept from others what they can give us without expecting them to give us more than they can. No single person can be our everything. Only God can be our everything. And so I think one thing God has taught me when I'm suffering is that when those around me seek to invest in my life or when they seek to speak into my life, I don't have to nitpick everything that they say or do. I can just look to say, Lord, what's the one or two things that you sent them to give to me right now? What is the one or two things you sent them to speak to me right now? How have you made them to be a burden bearer in my life? And then I just let the rest go. And if somebody says something that stings my heart, I try very hard to just give that away to God and just leave it in his presence. But if I can't shake it, I'll just go talk to them. One of my mentors the other day, he said something that just stung a little bit. He didn't mean it, but it stung, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. We were on a prayer retreat together last week, and so I just went and told him, hey, when you said that, it kind of hurt me. It's my thing. This is not your thing. You did not sin against me, but I just wanted to get it out there and clear the air, and we did that. We prayed, and it was over. No big deal. Grace received, grace given. No big deal. When people are trying to walk with you, when they're trying to weep with you, when they're trying to suffer with you, I'm just saying, give grace even as you have received grace. I think it'll be such a better plan than to try to nitpick everything that everybody is doing for you. And I know probably nobody's in that extreme of nitpicking everything, but it just seems like our world is becoming more and more and more hyper-individualized so that everybody has to do everything in just a perfectly custom-fitted way to me. And I just don't think that's God's vision of the world. So let's put God in the center and then learn to be gracious to others. Finally, as we welcome others into our weeping, I want to go back to where I started this message and say, Let's remember that God is up to very great things as we suffer and as we share in suffering with others. On the one hand, he is working to shape us into the image of Jesus. He's using the fiery furnace to purify our hearts and get rid of all the impurities that are left in our lives. He's using everything that's happening to us to mature us into the image of Jesus so that we'll be more like him and he's building us together into the body of Christ. I was thinking about this the other week because I I mentioned in the first message in this little mini-series that I have a heart to take all these sermons and work over the next six or eight months and turn this into a little book. And I was thinking back over the years of all the books that I've read, and some of the ones that have stuck with me the most are from the authors who suffered the most. And some of them are ancient authors. I think of Augustine, and I think of John Calvin and Jeremiah Burroughs and others that I've read their books on suffering. And it's just amazing how when God was present in their suffering and working in their suffering, he then used that suffering to bless other people in ways that they themselves could never even see. God was up to great big things in their suffering, and he's up to great big things in yours too. Maybe you won't write a book about it. Maybe nobody will ever really know about all the details. But trust me, God is up to great things, and I think we will be very much helped if we keep our eyes on that fact. Our suffering is not without purpose, and we never suffer alone. So, beloved, pray that God will give you and me eyes to see what our human eyes cannot see in the midst of the fiery furnace. Now, 
To those who are supporting others in their suffering, I likewise want to offer five bits of counsel, and with this, we'll be done for the evening. First of all, as we are invited to enter into the weeping of others, I think it's important for us to remember that our primary role is to keep our own hearts and minds fixed on God. I'm sure from time to time someone has called on you to weep with them in some way, shape, or form. Perhaps you have felt overwhelmed by their situation. I can remember times when I've been called to go pray with someone or counsel with someone, and I was driving over to their place, or we're going to meet at the church office or whatever, and I, I can remember many times of feeling so nervous because I felt way over my head. I felt like, Lord, I'm, I'm just a guy. I don't, I don't have anything to give to them. Their problem is so huge. I feel helpless. I feel like I don't know how to be a help to them. But in those times, the Lord reminds me that my job is not to be their healer, my job is not to mainly even be their helper. My job is to be focused on him and be available to him. That's my main job. So I think when someone calls on you and says in some way, shape, or form, would you come weep with me? Would you come enter into my suffering? The first thing you should think is not, oh, what can I do for them? The first thing you should think is, oh, I must go to God. I must go to God. I must seek the Lord. I must ask the Lord to help me in this circumstance. I must ask the Lord to use me in a way that he wants to use me. And I must ask the Lord to help me see that maybe he doesn't want to use me in the way that I think he would want to use me. I remember one night I was heading over to, to these people's house and uh, going to talk with them, weep with them about a very overwhelming situation. And I remember all the way there just feeling so stressed, feeling like, Lord, I don't want to be the pastor tonight. This is overwhelming for me. And I was remembering back when I was young in Christ and my pastor, Jim Wilson, would take me on pastoral calls and he would be the main guy, and I would be sitting there in support, and I would pray, and every once in a while I'd get to, to say something or pray with the people or something like that, but he was the main guy, and I remember saying to the Lord, oh, Father, I want Pastor Jim to be coming with me tonight. This is all too much for me. And I felt the Lord just helping me see that he's actually the greater Pastor Jim, uh, one greater than Pastor Jim was with me. He was actually the pastor, Jesus himself, that was going into that room. And all I had to do was make myself available to him. And I'm telling you, I remember the moment exactly where I was driving. Peace of Christ just washed right over me. When someone invites you into weeping, your first goal, your instinct, let it be, I must go to God. I must go to God. Because it's just really about God. Second thing then, as we enter into the weeping of others, let's learn to listen more than we speak. Let's learn to assume that we don't truly understand what the other person is going through, even if we've been through something similar. I think that is often the hardest time to get this one right. When someone is encountering a death of a parent, let's say, and you've encountered the death of a parent, so you just assume that your experience is theirs. It's a very tempting thing to do. And of course there's overlap. Of course there's commonality of situations. But nobody's situations are exactly alike. And so I think that we need to assume that we don't understand and then by faith in God, truly seek understanding. Sometimes when we're weeping with others, we're just uncomfortable with the weeping and we want it to stop. So we want to get to a point of resolution. We just kind of want it to be over. So we say, I know how you feel. Let's pray. Let's just get this thing done with. Sometimes we put ourselves in the place of the counselor, the healer, and we want to speak authoritatively into a situation more quickly than we should. And when we do that, when we jump the gun, so to speak, I think we can uh, genuinely be hurtful to other people and actually increase to, uh, we can actually serve to increase their burden. So I think 
that we first need to center ourselves on God and then say to the Lord, oh Lord, please just help me listen well. Help me listen well to you and then help me listen well to the other person. And while I'm meeting with the people, Lord, I know you'll be speaking to me. Even then, help me listen well to you and then help me listen well to the other person. And let me just relieve you from a huge burden right now. If you're called in to weep with someone who weeps, you might not even need to say a single thing, a word of counsel, a word of hope, anything. Words might not be appropriate. Sometimes maybe all the Lord wants you to do is listen and weep and then go to prayer. But how will you know if you don't have ears to hear? Center yourselves on God, listen to him, and then seek truly to listen to the other person. And this leads to the third thing. As we enter into the weeping of others, we too need to remember what the goal is. Do you remember what the goal is? I don't want you to say it out loud, but if I asked you to, could you do it? What's the goal when we're seeking to share our burdens together, when we're seeking to weep together? Remember I said it's to take this burden and bear it into the presence of God. That's what we're doing. When I go over to someone's house to help bear a burden with them, I'm not asking them to put it on my shoulders. These shoulders ain't strong enough. I promise you that. What I'm thinking is, Lord God, please help us to bear this burden to you and help us to do this truly. Help us to do it in a way that's pleasing to you and actually helpful to the other person and to my soul as well. We are bearing the burden to the Lord together. This is the goal. And because this is the goal, beloved, at some point or other in the meeting, we're going to have to take time to pray. And when I say that we're going to have to take time to pray, I do not mean that we should tack a prayer onto the end of our weeping together or on the end of our talking together. What I'm saying is that in times of suffering, we have to spend significant time in prayer. Since God is our ever-present help in time of trouble, we need to go into his presence and seek his help, and that might take time. It might come with a lot of weeping. Since God is our healer, we need to bow before his feet and ask him to release his healing power in the faith that he will do what he thinks is best to do. Since God is our hope, we need to strive together to put our hope in God in his very presence, asking the Holy Spirit to help us believe what we know is true in God. So as we enter into the weeping of others, beloved, probably the best thing we could possibly do for them is pray. Not just for them, but to pray with them. We weep with one another in the presence of God. And that's why our weeping together is fruitful. We're weeping together in the presence of God. It is itself an act of prayer. And that's why this act serves to transform our hearts and to forge us together into the body of Christ. We're weeping together in the presence of God. This is our main goal, to bear the burden of our hearts to the Lord together. That's really what's going on when we're weeping with those who weep. Fourth thing, as we enter into the weeping of others and we move from the stage of prayer to the stage of how can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? I think we need to learn to help people in ways that are truly helpful to them. I think when someone is suffering, our instinct is to love people in the way that we would feel loved or to seek to bless people in the way that we would feel blessed. It's sort of like in a marriage. I think uh, spouses tend to show love to the other one in a way that they receive love, not so much in the way the other receives love. But if true love is to be exchanged between husband and wife, I have to get to know how Kim actually receives love, what makes her feel loved. And then I need to die to my own flesh and learn to love her in a way that's helpful to her. And that same dynamic is what I'm talking about here. 
when we enter into the weeping of others, we might just want to ask, how can I help you in a way that would be truly helpful? And is this thing, if I did this for you, would this actually be helpful to you or would this actually increase your burden? Often the things that we want to do to help other people, are truth of the matter is for us. We're trying to make ourselves feel better about it. And sometimes it is actually not helpful for them. It increases the burden. If I was the one suffering and in that situation where people are trying to be helpful to me and, and what they're doing isn't all that helpful, I'm going to try to lavish as much grace on that as I can. I'm not going to nitpick all this stuff. But now to take the other side and say, if you're the one that's weeping with someone else, just ask. Just ask, what can I do for you that would be truly, truly helpful? For example, Kim and I have been going through a series of painful things in our life from October 2019 to the present. The storm has no signs of ending in our lives. We have no idea how long this thing's going to go or if it's going to get more fierce or less fierce. We have no idea. All I know is we're in the longest, probably the fiercest storm that either one of us have ever faced in our lives. It was not for nothing that I had to take some time away from ministry and bring my, my heart before the Lord. In the early times when we began to suffer through some pretty difficult things, some people brought us a, a couple of meals and spent a little time with us, and we really deeply appreciated that. No criticism about that at all. Some people have sent us cards even this week. I got a, two different cards and a couple of emails from people, and I really appreciate all that as well. Nothing wrong with any of it. No criticism coming from me at all. But if anyone was to ask me what we truly need, what we truly need is people to pray with us, physically pray with us. We need the ministry of presence. That's what we need. We need individuals and families, groups of people to come to our house, to gather with us at church, to listen to us, to weep with us, to believe with us, to hope with us, to put our faith in God together. That's what we need. Again, I mean it with all my heart. I have no criticism for anybody, for what anybody has done or has not done. I'm just saying in our case, if anybody was to ask us, what do you really need? Both of us, that's how we would answer. We need prayer partners. And we're in a long storm. We're not in a short storm. We need faithful prayer partners that won't give up. We need people that will stand with us and stay steadfast in love, just like the Lord is steadfast in love. That's what we need. And now that you know what we need, some of you probably God is calling you to act. Other, others of you God is not calling you to act. Not everybody can be involved in everybody's stuff. It's okay. There's no problem with that. We will not have anything to say. We won't think any particular thoughts whether you all act or don't act. But all I'm saying is now you know. Now you know what we really need. And if you're called into somebody else's suffering, you can ask the same question. What do you really need? What would actually be helpful and uplifting and healing for you? And then listen. Try to offer yourself to offer help. Offer yourself to God to offer help to others. That's truly helpful. That's all I'm saying. We all want to help. We all want to be part of God's healing plan. But in order to do that, again, it really comes down to something very simple. We listen to the Lord, and then we truly listen to one another. And as we listen, I believe that God will help us know how to love. It really comes down to that. Love is super simple. Weeping with one another is super simple. It's just hard because we're broken people, and we're busy people, and we all have burdens of our own. Listen to the Lord. Listen to one another. And then finally, just one more thing. I want to repeat what I said at the end of my last section there towards sufferers. As we enter into the weeping of others, let us also remember that God is up to greater things than we can see with our eyes. And I think especially if you come as a helper, one of the most helpful things you can do is help your friend put their eyes on God. 
Help your friend understand that God is ultimate, not their pain, not their suffering. Help your friend know that they're not alone because God is with them. When you can't be with them, God is with them. And help your friend know that because of the grace of God, you're with them. See the greater things that God is doing. Shaping people into his image. Forging us together into the body of Christ. Since you're not uh, suffering so much under the weight of the burden, whatever that burden is, you have perhaps an opportunity to gain perspective. And so share that perspective in a way that's helpful to the other person. See the great things God is up to and orient your relationship with the sufferer around those things. Beloved, I think there are a few things in life that God uses more to forge us into his image and into the body of Christ together than the furnace of suffering. And so let's pray now that God would help us to grow in this grace of weeping with those who weep. I've shared a few things, but many more things could be said. What I'm really trying to do tonight is start a conversation in the church as to how we can do this so that we'll grow in this grace. So let's pray now that God will help us in this. Our God and Father, we thank you so much for being an ever-present help in our times of trouble. We thank you, Jesus, for promising us that in this life we will have trouble, we will have trials, we will have tribulations. But, you said, be encouraged, be filled with courage because I have overcome the world. So, Lord, you speak truth to us, you set proper expectations, and you also fill us with the hope that you're with us and that you have already overcome for us. So I pray, Jesus, that you would teach us how to weep with one another well. I pray that you would teach us how to weep with one another in faith. I pray that you would teach us how to weep with one another in a way that's truly glorifying to you and helpful to each other and upbuilding for the body and and even that has evangelistic potential in our city. Oh, Father, please come. Use your word by your Holy Spirit and powerfully work in your people now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.